The Old Testament reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will not be accepted. Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is couching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened the mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put, the mark, uh, put a mark on Cain, lest those who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and born Enoch. When he, was, when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad. And Erad uh, fathered Mahujael. And Mahujael fathered Methusael. And Methusael fathered Lamech. And Lamech had two wives, took two wives. The name of one was Ahad. Adad, and the name of the other, Zelai. Adad bore Jebel. He was the father of those who dwelt in tents and received livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who played the lyre and the pipe. Zelai also bore Tuacain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tuacain was Naamah. Lamach said to his wives, Ada and Zelai, hear my voice. You wives of Lamach, listen to, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamach's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord.
The psalm is Psalm 116, and it will read by whole verse responsively. I love the Lord because he heard the voice of my prayer. As he inclined his ear to me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, and the pains of the grave laid hold of me. I suffered trouble and sorrow, and I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Indeed, our God is full of compassion. The Lord preserves the simple. I was in misery and he helped me. Turn again to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has rewarded you. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, and therefore will I speak. I am greatly troubled. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I give unto the Lord for all the benefits that he has done unto me? Lift the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord in the presence of all his people, Dear in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant and the child of your handmaid. You have broken my bonds asunder. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord in the sight of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, even in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. without end. The New Testament reading is 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel lesson for this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry at his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, 
And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser when you're going to him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. If you have a Bible with you today, open it up to Genesis chapter 4, the first book in the Bible. It's probably about four pages into your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible here today and you want to follow along with one, grab one of these blue Bibles that's on the table in the back. And if you don't own a Bible, then take one of those as yours to keep. It's our gift to you. Cain and Abel is one of those stories that is so well known from the Bible that it's, you, it's, it's really even made its way into kind of a, a secular consciousness. You know, Cain and Abel, they're brothers. Cain kills Abel. But like so many of the stories, if you stop there, if that's all that you know about it, you really don't know what the Bible is trying to tell us. Because when you read this story in Genesis 4, when you read the entire thing, especially when you read it in context of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, for, for me, at least, the story takes on so much more richness about what God is trying to tell us about him and his creation. And it's a tough story because when you read this, at least for me, I almost come away with more questions than with clear answers. It, it's such a simple story, but so much is just stated without being explained that it really does deserve a closer look. So today we're going to look at this tragic event in mankind's first family. As we come to the story of Cain and Abel, the story of the creation of the universe, the story of the creation of man, the giving of of mission and purpose to man, and all that good stuff, that's all in the rearview mirror. Sin has entered into the world through Adam and Eve, and this is the story of what happens next. Because now, we're in a world where the strong dominate the weak. We're in a world where the evil that lurks inside the hearts of people expresses itself out on one another all too frequently. The writer Herman Thielick puts it this way. He says that the, the history of the entire world is that space where the stone that, Ab- that Cain used to kill his brother is still in use today. It's just finally become gunpowder, and dynamite. But just looking at it as Cain kills Abel is not nearly the whole story. So if you want to read this as anything other than like a a mythological tale or a morality tale, we actually need to look at the entire chapter. And the frustrating thing about this story is that it's so short on context. We read it carefully and, and, and we try to think about what it means but we really need to see what God is telling us in these very few words. So let's walk through it together and see what it says. It starts out in verse 1 with a a birth. The the birth of any child is always a time of great rejoicing. We've had, in the last week, week and a half, we've had two births in this church. And both of them, just like every birth, is a time of great rejoicing. But in, in the ancient Near East culture of this time, In fact, in many societies throughout history, the birth of the firstborn was a wonderful and serious and blessed occasion. And if that firstborn was a son, 
it was even more so. It was a huge time of rejoicing. And that's how this story starts out. And so think of it this way. Cain was literally the first person ever born. He was the first human made by human means. He was the first person born with, with the sin nature that all of us have inherited from original sin. And we get little hints of how, as the firstborn son, Cain may very well have been the favorite. It's the first occurrence of a, of a pattern that plays out throughout the rest of Genesis and throughout the rest of Scripture. And we're going to come to it over and over and over again in our study of Genesis. It's this pattern of the older brother and the younger brother. The firstborn brother and the little brother. The firstborn brother is supposed to be the, the scion of the family. He's the one that gets a double portion of inheritance. It's his job to carry on the family line. He's the one who gets great honor bestowed on him just because of his sex and his place in the birth order. But the Bible is, even way back at the beginning, kind of playing with this idea and showing us how the systems and the, the things that mankind has set up that he values are not always the ways that God values things, that our ways are not God's ways. And so it takes our human ideas and turns them on his head saying, no, it's not the firstborn, the one that you have prized so much that's going to get all of the inheritance. It's the younger one. It, no, it's not the strong that will inherit the earth. It's the meek that will inherit the earth. The last shall be first. And that starts right here. So verse one, the man Adam was intimate with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Cain kind of is, a, is a, a way of saying, I have gotten a man. So, very typical in the Bible. Cain, the older brother, is born. He's named, and he's named for a reason, and the mom rejoices. I wonder if Abel gets the same treatment. Let's see. Verse 2. And she also gave birth to his brother Abel. No. So, Abel's name, by the way, means something close to dew or vapor. The interpretation is that his name means kind of weakness. Another interesting note here, Cain, Cain follows in his father's footsteps. This is not uncommon, right? I remember when I was about four or five years old, I filled out this little book um, about, you know, my favorite color and my favorite shape and what did I want to be when I grow up. And at four or five years old, I had written that I wanted to be a credit union manager when I grew up. Why? Because that's what my dad did. And so I had no idea what that meant. I literally didn't know what those three words meant in that order. But my dad did that, and so it had to be the best job. And so here we see Cain following in his father's footsteps. Verse 3. Now, Abel was a shepherd of livestock, but Cain worked the ground. His father had been a gardener. Cain was now a farmer. And that's it for the biography of Cain and Abel. Like, that's all we get. Except somebody at some point told them to bring a sacrifice to God. Maybe it was God himself. God certainly talks to Cain later on in the chapter. Maybe it was their parents who told them how God expects them to live. But somebody told these brothers to bring a sacrifice to God of what they had produced out of the earth. And for some reason, and we're not told explicitly why, God had regard for Abel's sacrifice, but he had no regard for Cain's sacrifice. Why? Um, Jewish scholars often give the interpretation that Abel had, bought, had brought the, the best of his 
of his animals from the flocks, while Cain had not brought the best of the product of his harvest. This is certainly in line with how sacrifices are set up later on in the Old Testament in the Mosaic Covenant, and it's certainly in line with how Christians are told to live their lives. God tells us to give out of what he has already given us. He tells us to give sacrificially and joyfully. So we're supposed to give with joy in our hearts out of understanding for what God has already given us, but we're supposed to, it's also supposed to hurt a little when we give. So we're supposed to give sacrificially and joyfully. He promises us that he will provide for us. And then he asks us to live on 90% of what we make because we offer that first 10% back to him. But we're not really sure why God didn't regard Abel's sacrifice. Maybe, maybe it was that Abel brought the, the, the choicest parts of the lamb and the goats and the bulls. Maybe it was that he brought forth his best and, and Cain didn't. Maybe it's because Abel had faith and trust in God and Cain was just going through the motions because he thought it was something he had to do. God says over and over throughout the Old Testament that he does not delight in sacrifices. In Isaiah 1, even though this sacrificial system had been set up to help cover over the sins of the Israelites, still, in Isaiah 1, God says that, that he is just like up to here with the sacrifices of bulls and goats. What he wants is changed hearts. What he wants is changed lives and new behaviors. He wants new behaviors that show a new mindset. He doesn't just want people to, bring their, just to go out, do whatever they want, and then bring their sacrifice to the temple and everything's okay. And so maybe that's what Cain was doing. Maybe he was just going through the motions of bringing a sacrifice to God without being genuinely grateful to God for what God had already given him. It kind of reminded me of the, the lesson of the, the widow's penny from Luke 21. Jesus and his disciples are sitting at the temple and they see this people bringing these lavish gifts into the temple. And then they see a widow walk in and she puts in two little coins that together total up to one penny. But Jesus said that her offering was worth more than the offering of all the other people who had come that day. Because one, she had given out of faith, not out of a desire to, to see how generous she is for other people to see. And two, she had given out of her poverty while everyone else had given out of their abundance. It's an important thing to remember in our everyday lives, and it's so easy to forget this. We see this here in Cain and Abel, and we see it in our everyday lives. God is a God who provides for us. When we really embrace that, we respond in ways that are pleasing to God. Everything that you have, everything that I have, everything that any of us has is a gift from God. Everything you own, everything you've worked for, you have those things because God gave them to you. And he expects us to respond in kind to that generosity. Abel did. Abel brought, we think, whatever the, the, the best part was of his estate. Or maybe it was the cheerful way that he did it. Whatever. Abel responded as though God provides for his people. Cain, in whatever way he did that, did not respond as though God provides for his people. But whatever the reason, Cain did not, shall we say, use the rejection that God gave him to make positive life choices. God spoke to him and said, why are you upset? Why are you upset that your offering was not acceptable to me? Several commentators have noticed that these two verses are the hardest to translate in all of Genesis. Verse 6, the Lord says to Cain, why are you so angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, 
Will you not be accepted? And if you do not, if you do, not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. If you remember back to what we read last week in Genesis 3, this has, again, great echoes of what God told his parents. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It sounds very similar to the pronouncement that God gave to Eve when she sinned. When God was explaining to her how the world was going to work now that sin had entered the world. Instead of a beautiful marriage of Adam and Eve where, where things just flowed between them and where they meshed. Now God says to her that your desire is going to be contrary to your husband and he is going to rule over you. In that case, that's a bad thing. In this case, God is saying to, to Cain, you have the power to control the sinful desire that is within you. But if you do not do well, you will have no ability to do that. Except in this case, God is just presenting the reality that Cain and Abel and every single one of us still live in to this day. That in this post-fall world where sin has become a daily reality, temptation exists. Temptation is a real thing that exists. But we must master it. And that's all well and good. But what about the times where we don't? What about those times where we fail to master it? We'll come back to that later. So God is saying to Cain, watch yourself. Don't compound whatever problems you have already had by doing one bad thing on top of another. Think of it this way. For whatever reason, Abel's sacrifice was good and Cain's wasn't. And if we can start with the belief that God, the creator of the universe, is a good and just God, then there was a good reason that this sacrifice wasn't accepted. So God is saying, look, don't take your disappointment and make it worse by compounding it with further bad actions, which is exactly what Cain then ran off and did. He let anger rise up in him. He let envy get the best of him. All that stuff roiling around inside of him. And he just indulges all that anger and shame and envy. And he rose up and he murdered his brother in cold blood. And then we come to the, the other famous part of the story that most people know. God says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Two weeks ago, we talked about Adam's role as, as the steward in creation. And we talked about his role as sort of the first priest in this garden temple of Eden. And God put him in there to do two things, to abad and shamar, to work it and to keep it or guard it. He put him in there to be a worker and a guardian. Cain here says, am I my brother's keeper? The exact same word. So he's saying, am I my brother's guardian? And of course, the answer is because we've read Genesis 1 and 2, the answer is yes. Yes, we all are, each one of us. God put mankind on this earth to work and to guard his creation. And mankind, as the, as the pinnacle and last thing of that creation, his actual image bearers, are the most precious part of his creation. Cain was supposed to guard his brother because it was his job to guard his brother. It was his job to work and to keep. Your job is to work and to keep. My job is to work and to keep. 
And because Cain so fundamentally misunderstood that, God had to cast him out. He had to throw him out of the land that he was in. In this way, Cain was, once again, we see flashes back to Adam. Cain was, once again, just a chip off the old block. God gives him the same curse that he gave Adam with the same consequences that he gave Adam. Their parents had already been cast out of this first temple, this garden in Eden, the garden where God had given them everything that they could need, where labor was easy and relationships were whole. They'd been thrown out of that area into a land east of Eden. But now God was throwing Cain out of that area. He said, no, even this isn't good enough. you got to go. You've befouled the land. The land itself can't keep you here anymore. The land that Cain made his living from. The land that Cain had worked and tilled. That land itself even now favored Abel more than it did Cain. Abel's blood had soaked into the ground and the ground itself was crying out for justice. The land opened itself up to receive, Cain, to, to receive Abel's blood. But now the land was going to be closed to Cain because now his toil, God tells him, his toil would be in vain and he would be forced to wander. And that is the result of every single sin that every one of us has ever done. And before you look at this and you say, well, that's fine, but I mean, Cain killed a guy. Like, I would never commit murder. Remember Jesus' words in the, in the gospel passage from Matthew. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother or insults his brother or says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. The ways that we mistreat our fellow image bearers in ways big and ways small, they are a violation of our job to guard our brother, to be our brother's keeper. And so in that way, we are all Cain. We have all sinned in that way, indulging our own desires, feeding our own anger or envy or shame or whatever, stoking our own emotions. When the call on our lives is to be one another's guardians instead of one another's trouble. And each and every single one of those sins cries out for justice. This is the second thing that we see when God judges Cain, that God is a God of justice. In the first part, the underlying revelation is that God provides for his people. An able response to that while Cain did not. Here, God brings justice for his people. The righteous judgment of a perfect God is awesome and terrifying. But to those who have been wronged, it's the sound of our defender coming to our rescue. To those who have done wrong, it is utterly horrifying. It's us sitting in the dock and waiting for a perfectly just God to pronounce his cosmic sentence on us. And if God's righteous judgment came on us, we would probably react, at least I would, exactly like Cain did. God gave his judgment to Cain, and Cain said, this is too much. This is too much. I can't possibly bear this. But here we see the part of the story that, that somehow flies under the radar. If we look at this as just a story of good and evil, it's easy to miss this. God actually shows grace to the wicked. Cain was merciless to his brother, and then God showed mercy to Cain. Cain says, I can't take this punishment that you've given me. You're going to throw me out of this land, and then I'm forced to wander. But if I wander, everyone that I meet will try to kill me. 
in tribal culture of that time, there wasn't a whole lot of like just passing through. Like if you wander into somebody else's land, it was not going to go well for you. But God grants him mercy. He's not being thrown to the wolves, exposed to the elements, just cast out of the land to wander, knowing that anyone who finds him will try to kill him. God puts on Cain the mark of Cain, which is, might be a familiar phrase. And if you're anything like me, I always assumed it was a bad thing. I always thought it was like a, the, the scarlet A that somebody would put on your chest if you were an adulterer. Like, you've got the mark of Cain on you because you're a murderer. Because I didn't actually read the Bible. I just hear, heard people talk about the Bible. But no, God says, I'm going to put my mark on you. And we see that that mark is actually a good gift of God. It's a mark of protection and ownership. God is saying, you belong to me. He brands him as his own. He puts him under the protection of the Almighty. Now, as we learned last week, sin still does have consequences. Cain had to leave. Cain is banned, but then Cain is blessed. God was with him and God protected him. And this is the third thing that we see in this passage, is that God is truly a God of mercy. Each of us is Cain. But at, at least if you take word, Jesus' word seriously about anger, each one of us is Cain. But we know that God still shows his love to the unjust. He still gives us grace with this protection and his mark. And he does this for only one reason, not because of anything that we've done. He does this because of who the true and better Abel was. He does this because the one who was weak for us could become so that we, the, the one who was weak for us enabled us to become strong. The one whose blood was shed for us, swallowed up by the ground, enabled us to truly live. Cain was mad at Abel because Cain was actually mad at Cain, and Cain was mad at God. Abel had nothing to do with it. And so in that way, we can say that Abel died for something he didn't do. Jesus himself died for all manner of things that he didn't do. We were enemies of Jesus, and we killed him just like Cain killed his brother. We are enemies of Jesus who deserves God's wrath, but he puts his mark on us too. He protects us. All of us are Cain. Jesus is the final and better Abel. That's the end of the story of Cain and Abel. And then we get to a, one of those parts, and I said this a couple weeks ago, when you start to read the genealogies in the Old Testament, it usually goes like this. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he came to the city, and to Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mishael. Let's go read about Jesus. Where's Jesus in this? Um, it's really, it's so easy to skip over these genealogies. But they're so important. First, they prove that God kept his word. God said to Cain, you're going to be condemned to be a wanderer, but nobody's going to touch you. Cain left and he settled in a land called Nod, which means wanderer. And he built a city and he named it after his son. He had a long line of descendants. He had security and he had prosperity. God said, nobody's going to touch you. And nobody did. But secondly, we can learn a good bit from these genealogies. And these really kind of set us up for what we're going to see later in Genesis. Last week, I said that 
after the, after the episode of the serpent in the garden, God's pronouncement was that the seed of the woman was going to crush the seed of the serpent. And so the rest of Genesis plays out along these two parallel lines, the line of the woman and the line of the serpent. And this is the first of the genealogies of the line of the serpent. There are subtle cues that, that people are turning away from God. I mean, we see that Cain's great-grandson, Lamach, took two wives for himself. So the pattern that God had set up in Genesis 1 of, therefore, a man will leave his mother and father and he will, he will hold fast to his wife. That's already gone because now it's, he will leave his father and mother and hold fast to wives. But the main focus is on the last three of these descendants in the line of Cain. We see three people here. We see uh, Jabul, Jabul, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain. And each one of them is listed as the ancestor of some actual cultural accomplishment. Jabal was animal husbandry. Jubal is music. Tubal-Cain is metallurgy. Genesis is making the point that through this disobedient line of Cain, I mean, okay, there's one thing in here we didn't cover. Um, Lamech, who took two wives, then sang a song about how great he was. He sang a song to his wives. He said, he said, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, hear what I have to say. I killed a man for wounding me. I killed a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is 77-fold. This is somebody bragging about his sin. And so even four or five generations down from Adam, we already have people bragging about their sinful nature. And so we can see these two lines are already diverging. The line of the serpent is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But these last three people, Jabel, Jubal, Tubal-Cain, animal husbandry and kind of cities and societies, music and arts and metallurgy and tools. God is making the point that even through disobedience, God is going to accomplish his purposes. The point may prove another, provide another illustration of the grace of God because God still brings good into his creation through sin. These people, Tubal-Cain, Jubal-Jabal, they have actually made important contributions to society. They've made important contributions into the world. It, um, Derek Kidner said that it reminds him of the Greeks and their contributions in art and philosophy, or of the Romans and their contributions of um, legal and political institutions bringing safety and security into huge portions of the world. These pagans did what the Hebrews never could. And so here, again, we see that even through sinful people, God is going to accomplish his purposes. And that helps us circle back to the very first point. God is a God who provides. Through this line of the serpent descended from Cain, we get things that have undoubtedly made this world better for God's image bearers. Cities, societies, art and music, tools. But we end up circling all the way back to right after the events of Cain and Abel. How are we going to progress this line of the woman? This is the very last two verses of this chapter. We can see kind of good and evil played out in Cain and Abel. Abel was good. Cain was bad. Abel's dead now. 
So how is this promise of God going to be fulfilled that the line of the serpent is going to flourish, but that the line of the woman, the seed of the woman, would eventually crush the head of the serpent? And it's a little, it's a little clue, a little touch point that propels us into the rest of Genesis. Verse 25, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So to Seth a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, at the same time that the descendants of the seed of the woman are getting worse and worse, and people are actually starting to brag about their sin, we see this line of the, the, the seed of the... I, I said, at that time, the seed of the serpent is getting worse and worse. The seed of the woman is getting to the point where at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. God promised to Eve that her descendant would crush the head of the serpent, and God is a God who provides. And so Seth is the one who carries forth this important line directly from Adam all the way down to Jesus. Abel, like Joseph later on, becomes an important kind of vestigial figure, or cul-de-sac in the lineage. But he's not part of the line that we can connect from Adam to Jesus. People call upon the name of the Lord even when things are hard. People call on the name of the Lord even when those around them are bragging about their sin. People call on the name of the Lord when they know that our God is a God who provides and that our God is a God of justice and that our God is a God of mercy. No matter what the circumstances, people still call upon the name of the Lord. And that is my prayer for all of us this week. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would make us joyful to call upon your name no matter the circumstances. When things are going well for us, that we would bring forward the best of what you have given us and give it back to you as our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. When things are going bad for us, that we would still bring forth from what we have and give it back to you. When those around us are wicked and evil, that we would still call upon the name of the Lord, that we would remember that you provide for us, even sometimes through evil. We remember that you are, that you are a just God and that you have promised when Christ comes again to bring true and final justice to this earth. And we remember that you are a God of grace and mercy, that you give that you give mercy to the undeserving, that you give grace to the wicked, because that's what we all are, that you, that you have provided a way for us to come back to you through Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.